1: Welcome back to the Leaving Eden Podcast. Happy Pride to you, Sadie.
3: Happy Pride. Happy to be here. And I'm really happy to share this interview with our listeners.
1: Yes, it's very, very exciting. Today, as you guys know, um, as we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, we've just been basically buzzing about this awesome interview. Uh, We have an interview for you guys with Pastor Noah Hepler of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of the Atonement in fishtown in philadelphia but you know him from season five episode one of netflix's queer eye he was one of the heroes from that show uh he had his eyebrows done by jonathan van ness he had his wardrobe done by tan he had his dwelling redone by bobby he made cornbread with anthony and He got an awesome uh, uh, vibes upgrade with Karamo. His name is Pastor Noah Hepler, and we recorded an interview with him, not just about his time on Queer Eye, because we did talk about that, but we also talked to him about his upbringing, what it was like growing up as a gay man in fundamentalism, and we talked about what it's like running a queer-affirming ministry. Awesome, awesome time.
3: And also, I found out mid-interview that Pastor Noah, like me, is a just a huge like Bible nerd, church, church history nerd. So there are a lot of great geek-out moments to be had in this episode.
1: That's not the only kind of nerd he is. He's a big D&D guy as well. <laughs> yeah.
3: So this episode has everything. We're so excited to get into that.
1: The Leaving Eden Podcast is the podcast mostly about my BFF and co-host, Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, uh, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, then there's a number of things that you can do to support us. Number one, You can join our Patreon, patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, where there's going to be an extended version of most of our episodes. Those episodes also come out on Sunday instead of Monday. So if you don't want to wait that extra day to get them, Sunday instead of Monday on the Patreon, and they're ad free and they're extended and they're more fun. You can join our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Join our Facebook group, Facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. Make sure that you guys check out our. Duggars documentary, shiny, happy people a uh, uh, breakdown slash interview with some of the people who were in the show some of the contributors to that show and some of the people who were involved with making it that came out last week uh, so make sure that you check that out if that's something that you're interested in we got into some some great detail about some of the real bombshells that came from that documentary so you've got to, to check that one out that one's going to be a lot of fun for you also make sure that you check out our pride merch we have pride merch that, uh, is available on our threadless shop and everything that is, is pride themed, if you buy it, then it goes to support the LGBTQ community, uh, in their serious time of need, uh, with the fact that they are under attack from all directions right now. So,
3: so for pride month this year, we will be donating again, a hundred percent of the proceeds from our threadless shop, as well as a percentage of our earnings on Patreon to LGBT charities. We love the idea of releasing special Pride merch, but we don't want to do the rainbow capitalism without um, putting our money where our mouth is.
1: Before we get into our interview with Pastor Noah, which is, I think, one of the best things that we've ever recorded for this show, personally, in my opinion. Sadie's just going to thank the patrons, and then we're going to get into it.
3: Our I gave it all to your patrons are Kathleen Moncrief and Melissa Mosley just say thank you kathleen and melissa for your support our faith promise missions tier patrons are alex p alicia guild ali allen anisha patel ashley dox tater brooke tully Krissa, crystal patterson dear ethan hansen the musical dora j eleanor donahue enchanted fairy esther m hannah ross Courton hears a shane janine callan Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Kat Hinwood, Kate Terwee, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lindsey Goss, Lorena Watson, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Marcia Millard, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arndt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese, Scooby Sleuth, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tara McNamara, and Wes the Cowboy.
1: Thank you guys so much for being members of our Faith Promise Missions to your Patreon and our I Gave It All to your Patreon. Thank you to everybody who just shares our podcast and uh, who listens to our podcast. And uh, we love you guys all. Uh, Sadie, hit us with a TW and we'll be on our way.
3: In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we'll mention at least a few of these topics, but we try very hard to avoid any graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story we're telling, and we try to give our audience a heads up before we get into that kind of detail. This episode in particular does discuss homophobia and the story of growing up as a queer person in fundamentalism, this episode is also very full of queer affirming christian theology so we are here today with a really special guest and i think we're gonna have a great conversation uh we have us we have with us here pastor noah from season five episode one of hit television show queer eye hello pastor noah welcome to leaving eden we're so happy to have you here
2: thank you hello it's it's great to be here i'm uh, thankful for the invitation
1: we were so excited
3: <laughs> we <laughs> were we were thrilled so we have you here because on your episode of queer eye you spoke about being raised in fundamentalism and then a little bit about your journey to becoming a not only an out gay pastor but also a queer affirming pastor and that hmm. There's so much that we connect on because of our shared background in fundamentalism, but that story, we thought that story was so powerful that it would be wonderful to share you with our listeners.
2: Yeah. Great. Yeah. It's, um, as I look back on it, on it, I always think, wow, man, that was quite a journey. It's
1: (laughs) It's, a trip. (laughs) It is. This is also a man who's had his eyebrows done by Jonathan Van Ness. I should also <laughs> right
2: <point. laughs> which sadly we do
3: not have in common but a girl can dream.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, I was just going to say I have never seen him so focused oh. as in that moment. Like <laughs> like when he is doing his thing, it is like laser focus. The rest of the time it's like controlled chaos in and, and and like the most beautiful way. So there's a little hint of, of, uh, what I experienced.
3: Thank you so much for that. That starts me off with just a huge smile on <laughs> my face. What can you, can you share with our listeners, your story, um, your background growing up in fundamentalism and a little bit about that journey for
2: you? Sure. I, I, I usually for people, I uh, kind of set the context this way. I, I think it was a joke that we used to toss around amongst ourselves, but, uh, to help people understand where fundamentalism, uh, this kind of fundamentalism, fundamentalism kind of falls on the, the spectrum of things is uh, that we used to say, if it's not Baptist, it's evil. And if it's Southern Baptist, it might be evil. So be careful. Um, <laughs> so
3: that's a little bit of Baptist bridalism then.
2: Yeah. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, I, I recall like everyone. Uh, not not in a consistent way, but every once in a while it would kind of pop up. Um, I can't remember what it's called now, but it, it it's kind of like the fundamentalist Baptist equivalent of. Um, of kind of like the the catholic we've been the church all the time mm-hmm. and, and i i'm almost certain it's a reaction to that too uh like we're the true church and that they would trace themselves it's called the uh the, the trail, trail of, of blood. blood yes sir. Oh, we did an episode <laughs> about that like two years ago
0: yep <laughs>
2: yeah right. and and like that wasn't like driven in hardcore but it did come up every once in a while um and of course uh, there was a lot of the jack chick Comics, um, I I had a lot of those kind of like the comic size and the track size both. Uh, those were handed out.
3: I am sitting in a room with multiple of those comics.
2: You know, I wish I had hung on to some of those because it—it it is for people who have not encountered them. It's really hard for them to understand that, that they are what you say they are. You mm-hmm. know, it's like people are like, it can't be that bad. I'm like, oh, yes. Yes, it can. Um,
3: That's what we do on this show, actually, is a, a lot of digging into the history of this and the the evidence that we have in print to show people not only was it that bad for me but yes it was that bad for you too if that's your experience then that's your true experience
1: I remember the first time Sadie brought the Jack Chick comics (laughs) over to my, you remember, this is like (sighs) this pandemic, like right before we started the podcast, Sadie brought the, it was the one with Tim and Jim, the beefy boys for Jesus.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) And when they were smuggling Bible tapes into Romania, I I looked at them, I'm like, yo, this is, and there was the woman who was running the passport office. And I was just, her name was like, uh, 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 Gladys. Gladys Steinman or something. I'm just like, yo. <laughs> you- <laughs>
3: That's an anti-Semitic caricature.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, oh, there was a lot of that. I, yeah. was,
3: I don't know what um, brand of independent Baptist you were raised with, but I was raised in the Jack Hiles camp. Uh, so if you're familiar with that, you can place exactly the way I grew up.
2: <laughs> I. Uh, so I don't remember a lot of that part uh, I uh, here's what I here's what I, I know like we uh, at graduate so I, an important part then would be that like we went to a really small church uh, that was kind of connected in ways with with like there's a lot of actually fundamentalist Baptist churches in winston-salem or at least there was when I grew up there they were some of the largest churches and, um, and we were in a small one that was kind of loosely connected to uh, one of the larger ones. And so, we had, I think, at our height, we probably had maybe 20 to 30 people in our church at that time with two pastors at one point. That's because we merged, but we were connected to the one where uh, actually I went to school from K-4 to 12th grade. Um, So, pretty much my entire Kindergarten, elementary, middle school, high school was all kind of in this one fundamentalist setting run by one of the larger churches. And uh, when we graduated, we were given a Schofield reference Bible. The language that I heard as kind of a label for ourselves was that it, we were independent fundamentalist Baptists, that we were King James only. Uh, oh, gosh, I got to think now. It was Premillennial it, The rapture happened before. <laughs> Pre, yeah, pre-millennial post-tribulation, something oh like that. Oh, my gosh. Pre-trib. Pre-trib, yeah, something I don't remember the post and print.
3: It's pre-m- pre-millennial pre-trib rapture or pre-millennial post-trib rapture, but we were raised, I, yes. I, I can tell you from that, we were raised incredibly similarly.
2: I probably still have it around here somewhere. Uh, it was in my family, and I held on to it. Um Darby. So it 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 is it's one of those <clears throat> it's a book with all the charts in it. Oh about about the, the end times. Yes. Um uh I, I probably can't find it right now. But it was, you know, and that was I would say I at least my memory, ninety percent of our revivals were somebody coming in to do those charts. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and and my my grandfather was very much uh, very much into that part, and and I, I think uh, later towards the end of his life, he actually he also left fundamentalism and and joined a United Methodist Church, but he he still brought a lot of that with him. At least it was getting worked out in a slightly different context, and and I think he was slowly beginning to move away from that. But but I think what it appealed to was an appreciation that he had for history uh and and almost a kind of a kind of scientific outlook i know that sounds strange to talk about in fundamentalism but it 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 was like there was um there's an observable pattern there Mm -hmm. it's not good science i would say but or or necessarily even a good lens on history but but it's this the sense of what as i was leaving Mm -hmm. fundamentalism a a realization that for for a lot of Christians, there's this desire to see where God is active in their life, and I think what fundamentalism, in a way, did in a reaction against kind of uh, the uh, the growing scientific worldview back in in the 1800s and the Enlightenment, as a reaction against that, kind of adopted its own version of those approaches, and I think what it offered him was this ability to see where God was active in his life. Um, and, and, and it's interesting, uh, for me that I saw that as I was becoming Lutheran and, um, and realize that uh, for the Lutheran Church, which is a sacramental church, uh, it points to the sacraments as far as like, if you want to know where God is active in your life, look to baptism and communion. My journey on the way out, I, I was probably around six, 15 or 16 years old, so it-, it wasn't much longer after I'd finally gotten baptized. I'd, I'd put off baptism for a long time, and I I think uh, as I was was getting into those kind of middle teens, I felt like, you know, I just I didn't have enough friends peer pressuring me because again we were in a smaller church, so I didn't quite experience the peer pressure part of it, and and probably my natural inclination to be an introvert, I just I kept putting off uh, baptism, so it was shortly after that, and I started really wrestling with. I, I think it was. I think it was a growing awareness that I was not yet even able to name, but it was it was there uh, in, in my subconscious about what my uh, sexuality was, uh, and therefore there was something terribly wrong with me, and and I was going to end up going to hell. So I. I kept wondering what would it actually feel like to burn for all eternity, mm. which is not something a fifteen or sixteen year old should be staying awake at night wondering. It's and, not uh, that I
3: have been there,
2: right, right, and and uh, and and the biggest quote unquote mistake from the fundamentalist point of view that I made in my life was number one. I, I in about fifth grade uh, started started playing Dungeons and Dragons.
4: Oh no! Um,
2: Jack Chick would not be pleased. No, <laughs> not at all. And uh, and that was something I hid pretty well. Uh, I didn't have to hide it from my family, interestingly. Uh, but I, I later learned that they they did get some flack about that that they were letting me engage in such dangerous stuff. And their response was, "Look, he, it gets him." <laughs> he's, he's not out doing who knows what on the weekend. We know exactly where he is, and, uh, uh, and it's helping him focus and study. Whatever moment of grace occurred in my family's life for them to kind of see past the satanic panic, panic which was well underway when I started playing, that was it. But, but what it led me to is making friends who are outside the fundamentalist circle uh and they were here's another point that jack chick would not be happy with they were catholic oh no oh. Uh, yes Heaven forbid. they were catholic they were catholic and they played D. so uh <laughs> i i went i went to church with them a couple of times uh and the big one was later one of the, one of the guys i was playing D with was older than, than the majority of us. So he had a house, he was engaged. Uh, and we, we actually quit playing in the, uh, in the hobby shop that, that we had gotten started in. And we ended up playing in his house, which was, you know, nicer environment and everything. Um, and he's, you know, he was a sheriff. So like, again, as far as like my family being concerned about what I was out doing, I'm hanging out with a sheriff. So like, it's probably going to be okay. And, um,
1: yeah, but it could have been the sheriff from the Chick comic who was <laughs> – <Like, laughs> Right, right, right.
2: <laughs> but, uh, uh But anyway, he got married, and as it turned out, his side of the family was Catholic, and her family was Baptist. So it was going to be this weird – uh, mix of a, a a Baptist Catholic wedding, and it was going to be uh, in a Catholic church, and and I went. And what I remember, I remember that the liturgy in general was absolutely beautiful. But the thing that I I has stuck with me is that when the priest finished reading the gospel lesson, uh, he kissed the book and then put it down back on on the um, uh, the ambo or the the podium. And, and that stuck with me because I, I kept thinking in that one gesture, he had communicated to me that a, a sense of, that he, that he had experienced something profound by doing that, that never registered with me in the way that all of our language about infallibility and inspiration and all of that, that never got to me the way that that action did. He so clearly communicated that he, knew he had done something sacred by reading this story to us. And that, uh, in a way, uh, haunted me in a beautiful way. That that followed me the rest of this time. And so, I I started looking, like, is there kind of like a Holy Roman Baptist church? You know, (laughs) is there a a place where I can find this intersection? Because I'm like, that felt more like worship than having – an old guy yell at me for forty five minutes.
3: I don't want to interrupt your story, but I do feel like we're <laughs> the same person because,
2: yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah it's I came Heather out of,
2: all over again.
3: I, it is. <laughs> I came out of fundamentalism, and I can't. I can't attend evangelical or or low church type services because of PTSD. Mm-hmm. So high church is kind mm-hmm. of my option, and um, I. But I love the the rituals and the. Way that sacredness is portrayed in high church—it's really very meaningful to me.
2: Yeah, it, it grabbed me, and uh, as I recall, for people like uh, Rachel Held Evans, that—that's uh, all was also true for her, if I'm remembering correctly. That it was um, that that kind of encounter, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that continued to pursue me and what happened was that the god did two things through my school that I had no idea that was going to happen there and that was for some reason of all the languages that we had an option to learn at this this school one of them was classical latin amazing and Maybe because I was interested in d and and all this kind of medieval fantasy stuff, I, I jumped on that. Like I could have taken something useful like French or Spanish, but no, I took classical Latin. And uh, so she took us to a foreign language festival that was not part of what we regularly did. As it turned out, she was a, a Presbyterian. And uh, so she took us to a foreign language festival at Lenore Rhine, which is a Lutheran university in North Carolina. Uh, and she made us go to chapel and, uh, uh, I'm sitting there, and I've already had this experience at my friend's church, and and the, at the chapel, the the pastor came out and did the sign of the cross and said in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I whipped my head, I was sitting right next to the teacher. I whipped my head around to her and I said, "Are they Catholic?" <laughs> and She said no they're lutheran and i'm like oh i found them because we had learned uh in in one of the music classes we took we learned a mighty fortress so i knew about luther and that he must be okay we sang his his hymn so he he can't be that dangerous right and so that that's actually that that foreign language festival is what started me kind of checking out lutherans and then i found out my fourth grade teacher who was my favorite teacher of all time at the school. Um, she semi retired and actually became a cafeteria teach uh, worker. And so I saw her every day at lunch and we would talk and chat and her name was Mrs. Lindler. And as it turned out, she was the wife of a Lutheran pastor. Mm. Uh, and so her, other than that chapel, her church, her, her husband had died by the time I was having this, uh, conversion experience and and um uh so i called her i found her in in the because i was in college by this point and i i called her up uh we found her number in the uh back then this the ancient times when you had to use the the um the phone book uh (laughs) to, to find people we we looked her up in that and uh uh i called her and talked to her and uh she invited me to her church and so that was that that was really what got me to become lutheran was was their my experience with those two teachers in this fundamentalist setting how they got their that job uh, with with what i know they needed to fill out on their application because they they had to make a statement of faith and and knowing that they had to be very careful and how they worded that and, and i don't know i have no idea if they did that intentionally or if they thought through it, or if it was just something of being not uh, Baptist in the South that they were able to to translate their faith in a way. But they they got into the school and, and I can't help but imagine in one way or another, I encountered grace from them in a way that I was not encountering it from fundamentalism. I think it was there, I just it it gets so obscured by the legalism, it's really hard to see. And I think that's what they did: is they peeled some of that back and just lived gracious lives in front of the rest of us. And it it was it was a witness that they were bearing to us uh, in a way that you know I wish all the church could do.
3: That's that is beautiful. So it sounds like from. The so you had three separate journeys coming on, going on at the same time because you had mm-hmm. the journey of coming out of fundamentalism, and then the journey of coming out, and then the journey right. of finding affirming theology. It sounds like coming out of fundamentalism was by far first.
2: Yes, uh, it was. I I struggled with the sexuality all the way up till I had completed at least one year of seminary and before there was any shift in that. I, I was very much certain that the fundamentalist reading on this was correct, you know, and that God wanted one man plus one woman equals marriage. And that that <laughs> that also in part shapes uh one of the reasons why I became Lutheran, because I went to a Southern Baptist university. That's another mistake I guess I made. Uh, I went to a, a Wengett University and so kind of encountered a very different reading of the Bible that way. And I had a conversation with one of my professors uh, about what I was going through. and uh, And he said, look, this is what I'm going to tell you. If it weren't for the fact that I wanted to remain in contact with my family, I would be an Episcopalian right now. But in order to be able to maintain a relationship with the rest of my family, I decided to go Southern Baptist. And wow. um, and so – That actually put Episcopalians on the list for me. Uh, The Episcopal Church was an option, but I I mentioned that at one point, and I remember my my grandfather saying, you can't join the Episcopal Church. They're okay with the gays. And because of where I was mentally, I was like, okay, well, I got to let that go. And then given the experience I had with those teachers, uh, and especially my favorite Mrs. Lindler being Lutheran, uh, that really continued to push me on towards Lutheranism. And I remember when I went to visit the seminary for the first time, I went to, uh, Lutheran Theological Southern Seminary in, uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And, uh, uh, I was – there was some event that was going on, and we were just kind of chatting while that was going on, and it was the admissions director who was there. And uh, I had learned that the – the at least the Lutheran uh, group that I belonged to, the, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, was already starting discussions about acceptance. Uh, and this is, you know, this is the late 80s, early 90s. The, the uh, ELCA was – Brand new. The ELC didn't become a church until 1988. Um, and so they were – these discussions that they, they had brought in from their predecessor bodies, the denominations that they were before they merged were part of the discussion. And I said, I'm just – I'm not sure about that and how that matches up with with scripture and and i i remember the admissions director kind of like i don't he was trying to hide it but i still caught it it was kind of that rolling the eyes sort of thing like oh no it's one of those (laughs) and um but it was actually you know he was he was he was gracious. It wasn't just trying to be, uh, he navigated that pretty well. And, and so did the pastor of the church that I had joined by that point, who I had developed great respect for. Uh, his name was Pastor Paul Conrad. And I had a conversation with him about it. And he just said, look, Noah, here's where I am on it. It's between them and God, and it's none of my business. And and for me, I, I, I'm sure that he may have been even more progressive than that, but he knew who I was.
3: He was meeting you where you were.
2: Exactly. And, and, and I think he was helping me take this journey, not, not really knowing <laughs> where I was headed on it, but still trying to help me out of fundamentalism, really. And, and just, the, again, this different approach to who God was.
3: That was a huge part of me leaving fundamentalism as well, because I had not been exposed to the idea of bisexual people existing at all. It was either you were totally straight or you were totally gay. And I knew that I liked boys, so I never thought twice about all these feelings that I had about girls as well.
4: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I just didn't
3: think about it because I knew I liked boys and I knew I wasn't a horrible sinner, therefore I was straight and (laughs) didn't have (laughs) just never thought. And I had this light bulb moment of it all hit me at once, realizing that I was very much not straight and definitely bisexual. And it was not a slow realization process at all, (laughs) uh, which was not very comfortable for me. (laughs) And, um, it just, it hit me. And then I realized that none of the lies were true because I had always been told, well, if you're, if you're not straight, then you've chosen to sin and God has given you up to a reprobate mind.
2: Right. Right. Or mm -hmm.
3: someone has hurt you and made you that way. And I knew that neither one of those things were true about me. And it just dawned on me in a very... Uh, I'm glad yeah. it happened, but it, boy was that tough. Oh no, none of this is true because I exist in my own existence in my own lived reality were what kind of cracked my worldview into a million pieces and then I had to figure out how to put it back together. Did the did the theological side or your own experience come first for you? Or was was it all kind of happening, spiraling out at
2: once? There there's a there's a point in my story where they're kind of happening at the same time but overall as far as like the ability to come out it really was learning uh new theologies both a kind of kind of queer theology i i don't like to make distinctions between queer theology and quote unquote regular theology um but but it was theology deployed in affirming ways mm-hmm uh, and uh, along with a theology that was not fundamentalist, mm-hmm. um, those two things were working. Well, one of, one of the big things. So somehow I was aware of that there were by people, uh, and I was at this point as I got into college, I was really hoping. Well, there there were there had been a couple of girls that I felt attracted to. So I thought I I must be bi Uh, and and thank God. So there's a way out of this, right? Mm -hmm. As as I'm becoming more and more aware uh, of, that my attraction to other guys was not just I wish I looked like them, but it's this it isn't was what something different, feel, right? <laughs> this is exactly, and um, and I thought, well, then I'm I'll be okay because I'll just I'll find a girl that I can be comfortable with and and uh, feel attraction to, and uh, I'll get married, and then I just won't have to worry about anything, and and uh, I, as as revealed on the story, I tried that. Uh, And at first, it was great. It was, I I think we had a, a pretty good relationship. But gradually, it was eroding. I say gradually, but I think from the very beginning, she was aware that something was up, and uh, it was not just eroding, but it was heading into toxicity, uh, which is the biggest reason why we decided to to end things. Is we did not want it to get to that point. And um, uh, but before I, I got there, there were these there were these moments that happened that were both, I would say, just because I think this way, they were all theological, but but some of it was lived experience. And that was, I get to this, this Southern Lutheran seminary that it kind of in the church at the time had a reputation for being one of the more conservative of the Lutheran ELCA seminaries. And uh, wouldn't you know, like 50% of the student body was LGBTQ. <laughs> so, so here I am encountering people of deep faith who are, for lack of a better term, I'm going to say that they're theologically conservative, not in the, not in a fundamentalist way again, but but just like they're not just throwing out the parts of the Bible that they feel like they don't agree with. They're wrestling with it. They're also able to see things in Scripture that I had been unable to see, and um, and and there was this there was this kind of concern for orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like that's that's not how this is supposed to work it's the reprobate mind sort of thing is what i'm bringing in from my fundamental how can they be concerned about their faith and especially in a way that uh that they're not they're very concerned that they're not making it up as they go along they're actually wrestling with scripture they're they're wrestling with the the quote unquote great tradition of the church and all of that and I'm like that's not the narrative I was given. They're supposed mm-hmm. to just not care, and they're they're supposed to be like secret Satanists, <laughs> you know? And it's like, right, trying like, to destroy God
3: and <laughs> the truths of Scripture.
2: Exactly, and it's like was the complete opposite. And what connected for me in that moment was my experience with Dungeons and Dragons. I, that sounds weird, probably, but oh, I but, can't wait to hear it. But. So, uh, when they did, because of course eventually they found out that I did play d and d, I was sent to the principal 's office, and I was given books uh, and he was told I was he told me, "You need to read these books and then come back and we'll talk about them." So I read them, and I came back and he said, "Well, what do you think?" And I said, "I think they can't get the basic mechanics of the game down correctly, so how can I believe that they got the rest of it right Ooh." And, um, yeah, it's, it's just like, it clearly, they didn't read the rule books, so how do they even know what they're talking about? And, uh, and, and that's what carried over, is like, maybe what they were saying about queer community is the same that they were saying about Dungeons & Dragons. Maybe they haven't actually gone out and talked to queer people of faith to find out what's going on.
3: And instead, they're just making myths.
2: Right, and, and and then uh a friend of mine she and I had become and and remain we're very close friends uh and she came out to me uh during one of our summer breaks and she said I don't know how you feel about any of this and I'm like oh crap i've got a I've got to say something out loud, you know. I have to make a statement, and here I am. I don't know, and and because uh, I would, I'd made it that far on my journey. I just, I didn't know what to say, and so I said, "It doesn't matter what I think. You're my friend, and that's just going to remain true." And that was, I think, the first big step. And then we got a new professor, and uh, he was actually a student of Stanley Hauerwas. Uh He was our our token United Methodist at this. Lutheran Seminary, and he taught ethics. And and he really helped me, again, into this new stage of rethinking theology. And we had reached a point where the seminaries had been asked by our church-wide body to... Have discussions about sexuality with with their student bodies because they knew that eventually this was going to come to a vote, uh, and they needed this discussion to be happening among the leadership and hopefully, therefore, also in congregations. And I remember I don't really remember exactly what Dr. Bell lectured on, but I do remember there was a student who asked a question, and the question was basically, "What about the parts don't fit?" Because that was a pretty common argument. I remember coming out of fundamentalism. Uh, it was pretty common, even uh, sort of non fundamentalist argument against homosexuality. The parts don't fit, right? And he said, without like he didn't he didn't even have to hesitate to think about this. He just said, "We're Christians. We believe that one day." Lions and lambs will lay down next to one another and one not hunt the other. And the lion is physically designed to hunt other animals. Why do we have to care about whether or not parts fit? And I thought, oh, (laughs) you know, it's like... I've grown up with cats I, I I know they're obligate carnivores and yet we do have this prophetic vision in scripture where the animal kingdom will not function the way quote unquote nature says it ought to mm-hmm. and of course as we've found out uh, w- when it comes to sexuality and gender the natural world is as diverse and wonderful uh, as as is claimed you know it's just a beautiful spectrum of stuff but but here we have this prophetic vision of maybe maybe that's not an argument we need to engage in
4: mm-hmm.
2: and then the the last thing for me was a book by uh he's an episcopal biblical theo, uh theologian named Stephen fowl <clears throat> and he wrote a book called engaging scripture that um it has a chapter in it on uh acts Chapters ten through fifteen, which is a, a passage I I had already become interested in as kind of a, a a biblical source for biblical theology about all kinds of things where where the church has quote unquote changed. For example, ordination of women, and and he was responding to a Catholic uh, biblical scholar who said. Uh, as Luke Timothy Johnson, who said that perhaps Acts 10 through 15 is a model for the church to be accepting of the queer community. And Stephen Fallon's book is actually pushing against that to be more inclusive than what uh, Johnson thought might be possible. And, and one of the and and of course, in that is it's, it's the the story of the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church as Gentiles. They don't have to convert to Judaism, and then become Christian, which at that time would have been understood as a Jewish sect. But instead, there was a space for uh, Gentiles in this. Jewish sect of Christians and their, their self-understanding as, as uh, a Jewish community, that there was space for them in Christ, for them to become part of the community without becoming Jewish. And that's the big debate in that, that section of Acts. Um, what Johnson had said in his, I think it was an article that he wrote, had said was it, you know, this was all based on the experience of holiness that Peter and Paul had had of the Gentiles. They experienced holiness among the Gentiles. Uh, and and what Johnson's take on it was, is if the queer community can prove their holiness to us, then maybe we need to let them in. And what Stephen Fowl came along and said is, it's not up to them, if we're going to go by this story, it's Peter and Paul who are two Jews who are arguing for the holiness of the Gentiles. And if that's our parallel, then it's uh, we straight folk need to be arguing for the holiness that we have seen among queer community. And that that hit me pretty strongly. And, and it was a couple of years after that, uh, that I kind of had to come to terms with my own sexuality. So So, the the affirming theology was already there, which is, again, uh, parallel to earlier in life. That's kind of the same way that I left fundamentalism. I went to the library, and I checked out everything they had on the shelf about Luther and Lutheranism, and I read through it to make sure it was okay before I went in because I knew Lutherans in the back of that Jack Chick comic were listed as, as papist wannabes, and I could be in danger, so I, I had to check it out to make sure it was safe. And I, 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 think in a way that's I did the same thing with uh, theology as it applies to gender and sexuality.
3: That is such a incredibly scholarly take. <clears throat> <laughs> I yeah. have never thought.
2: I'm a nerd.
1: <laughs> oh, I can tell. <laughs> I was, no, I was watching the, um, I, I was watching the episode that you were on earlier today, just like before just like refreshing yeah. what, the, what are the names of your cats one of them's thor the other one is a uh, sateen sateen yeah is Satine named after the duchess from uh star wars clone wars
2: no uh oh, she was okay. actually she's named after uh uh sateen from moulin rouge
3: that was gonna be my guess
2: <laughs> also extremely <laughs> nerdy um
3: <laughs> my cat is hieronymus bosch which my husband says is after a detective novel, and I say is after a painter. I have a calculus tattoo, and I'm sitting in a closet full of about 200 cult books. So I'm also a nerd, <laughs> and I and I love to see it.
1: My theory was just that actually, what happened is that you played Dungeons and Dragons, and then you picked up a gay demonic attachment, just like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just like Jack said would happen. <laughs> it may interest I, you. I am.
2: I am sure that's the narrative that that they will will give. Um and I'm okay with that. I I mean not okay okay but like I I will go on. <laughs>
1: Have you had any exorcisms just to be safe? No. Have you gone and seen Bob Larson?
2: No, I skipped all that. Uh, I, you know, there was, there was a couple of moments in college, and I think more so that first year of seminary, I did actually like, visit the Exodus International website, and I, I never actually went, uh, thank God um indeed but i i thought about it i really (laughs) thought about it but uh i i did not go and just
3: uh i'm so glad that you were led away from that
2: yeah i i really uh, in many ways was very protected um and i I realized uh as someone in a fundamentalist environment that that there's a certain privilege in my experience that i did not go through a lot of what uh, queer people Uh, Mm -hmm. who grow up in that community do go through.
3: I say the same thing, um, as, as strange as it was to have a realization about myself, the way that I did, I still consider myself very lucky and very privileged to not have come to that realization at a younger age when Mm -hmm. I would have been Mm -hmm. less capable to deal with it and less capable to get out. Um, are there any particular favorite? So I, let me back up. I would never have thought to look for a th- affirming theology in the book of Acts. Um,
2: <laughs> Me either.
3: Like I'm a big Bible nerd, but acts is just not my, my favorite. It's not a book that I've ever really felt connected to. So now mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and read acts immediately <laughs> and see what happens. Um, but are there any favorite affirming passages, um, from big to small that, that really encouraged you in your journey?
2: I, I, I should bring up the one that that actually made it onto the show which which comes which I've gotten not a lot of flack about it but uh, I apparently I'm quoted in a book uh, hmm. that's not an, a supportive book but uh, I'm like you know this that's a heavily edited edited conversation and you're gonna put it in a scholarly work I, I don't know how I feel about that but anyway so there's this story that I mentioned in um, uh, on the show about the centurion and his slave and how Jesus heals the slave without questioning the nature of the the relationship and and of course there's all kinds of ways to critique that that little statement uh, and most people don't pick the better ones. Which is, well, does that mean Jesus also supports slavery? Because this guy is a slave. And um, but that's that's not really what I was trying to say about this story. It, what I was trying to to draw is that our stories are present in the Bible the same way a lot of other people make claims that their stories are present in the Bible, even uh, even in stories that are not a clear one for one match. You know, I. It's, and the example is this. So my my best friend out of my fundamentalist years uh, got married and it was going to be I – w- I was already married at the time. I told my wife, I'm saying, you're about to, to meet high fundamentalism. And I don't mean liturgically. I mean, theologically, this is going to be hardcore fundamentalism. And in a way that you think you've seen, that's not going to be what this is. This is going to be more. Uh, and it was in the mountains of Tennessee and it is a thick fundamentalist country and we went to their wedding and one of the the scriptures that this fundamentalist congregation read at this fundamentalist wedding was Ruth and Naomi <laughs> you know yeah. and i i rem- interesting i remember <laughs> i remember hearing uh, girls in my class talk to the teacher about, oh, you know, I I want my future marriage to be just like uh, what Ruth and Naomi described their relationship <laughs> right. it's to be. A but of course, wedding with my husband, yeah, of course, I want it with my husband, and and like like no, like like just no acknowledgement that you're 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 reading about a, a woman talking to another woman, and and, and that they're. They're related, you know. It's it's a daughter-in-law, mother, and, I, and I'm just like, really, like you, you're you're going to take this passage.
3: Did the fundamentalist wedding not also want to read the story of David and Jonathan? I don't know why they oh, wouldn't.
2: No, no, no yeah, that, that one did not make it. Um, I and don't that was, know. That I was don't. Know why big not. One for me. <laughs> uh, But um, but yeah, so they read this. That, that's the parallel that I was trying to draw with the centurion and his slave. Uh, and, and David and Jonathan could have been another one. I don't know why I didn't think just to jump with to, to that one. Uh, but m- maybe because that one I felt in my mind is overused, at least in my own, my own head. Um, and so but, – but the parallel that I'm trying to do- draw is that if a, a, a heterosexual fundamentalist couple can read Ruth and Naomi – at their wedding, then why can't, in all the ambiguity about the relationship between the centurion and his slave and what it may or may not mean, uh, see see my, my own relationship caught up in, in that narrative as one of the actual possibilities of what that, that narrative could have been?
3: If we as white 20th century Christians, 21st century mm-hmm. Christians, are meant to see pieces of ourselves in Moses or Jonah or Luke or John the Baptist or Mary Magdalene, regardless <laughs> of our gender or our role in life. Why can we not all find pieces of ourselves in the Bible and why would that not apply to LGBTQ people?
2: That That's the kind of thing and, and the same thing for, for David and Jonathan who have a lot more going on that indicates the, the possibility. Uh, of what the relationship might've been like. Now I, I, I now have a PhD in church history, so I'm, oh, I'm aware of like, <laughs> thank you. I was, I'm very I didn't want Oh, uh, it was, it, I, honestly, if the shutdown had not happened, that dissertation would not have gotten done. But uh, I had See, to do. See, the shutdown happened
3: and I got a baby <laughs> out of
2: it. But if, I
3: had, if that had not happened, um, I might be following that same path now.
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, you know, like, there's i – uh, I'm aware that we have to be careful. Like, We can't really call David and Jonathan gay because human beings, for the most part, especially – around the Mediterranean and through Europe, did not have a kind of, they did not art- articulate their identity as I am in my essence, this or that. Right. What they, the way they, they they, talk about it is this is what I do. Um, and so watching their behaviors between like David and Jonathan, it's interesting. <laughs> you know, there is something in there that might look kind of a little bit like a wedding, but the thing that got me is after Saul and Jonathan die and, and the eulogy that uh, David writes, the the song that he writes, where he says of Jonathan, your love surpassed that of a woman. And, um, you know, I just – I haven't heard – while I agree that's not like he he's not declaring himself gay because he can't, that's not a concept that he lives with, that's an interesting way to articulate your friendship with another guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you know I there's see, just
3: I love Dave, the David and Jonathan story because it is so much more than oh yeah, they were gay. They were married. They were in love. Mm-hmm. Because that is so overly simplistic and it leads us into yes. so much good examination of the culture of the time and mm-hmm. examination of our own hearts and what we believe both about the Bible and biblical inerrancy and biblical literalism, but also what we believe about the queer people in our own community.
4: Right. Yeah.
3: And it's it's so and that's what I believe scripture is for. If I can scripture nerd with you for a minute, <laughs> <laughs> please. Like, I think that is one of this the one of the functions that scripture is meant to fulfill in our lives. It is more than one thing. Scripture is more mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. a list of rules. It is more than a history book. It is more than helpful myths and legends that teach us lessons, although many people see it as any or all of those things. I think it's meant to also be a tool by which we examine our own beliefs Mm
4: -hmm. and it
3: informs our beliefs and our beliefs inform what we think of scripture. And it's a give and take, and it is in that function among scripture's many other functions that we call it the living word of God. That is the living part.
2: Yeah, that was something I encountered uh, in the process of becoming Lutheran was this new understanding of what the the Bible was. And um, what Lutherans say is that the Word of God is Jesus Christ and that Christ encounters us through certain specific means. One of them is scripture, but it's an encounter with, with, with the God who exists in the midst of the words, rather than in the words themselves, yes. uh, and, and in the same way that we encounter Christ in the sacraments—in in water and bread and wine—that uh, that Christ is present in those things. A- and and for me, I I remembered uh, the the passage in John where Jesus encounters some of the biblicists of his day and says, um, you search the scriptures for salvation, but they point to me. And and I'm like, well, there it is, <laughs> you know? And it, it's like, I was so trained that everything I needed was, was in the Bible that it's almost, uh, other than the fact that the Bible talks about God, I don't really need God, I just need the Bible. And this was a shift.
3: Yes. Um, I've described that, Biblical Literalist view of the Bible as elevating the Bible to a fourth member of the Trinity.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: That was… Thank you for letting me Bible nerd with you.
2: <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> My pleasure.
3: <laughs> let's go take up our offering break. Um, when we come back, we have a couple more questions to ask you about Queer Eye and we'll fangirl over JBN together and uh, continue having a good time.
2: <laughs> sure thing.
0: Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
3: that group is called eden exodus tell a friend tell a family member tell your worst enemy the leaving eden podcast is a fully independent podcast and we really appreciate your support now back to the show
1: we are back from our break um we are here with pastor noah hepler a uh, pastor of the evangelical lutheran church of the atonement Um, up in fishtown in philadelphia you may know him because he is one of the heroes from season five of netflix's queer eye um and so we've had our i guess you could say our our our
4: our, 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 meat meat
3: of the word just say meat Meat of of the word word. it's a christianism all the the christians and (laughs) ex-christians will get it
1: (laughs) okay now we can have our dessert and we can talk about reality tv a little bit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can't mix the meat of the word and the milk of the word, though. You can once it's you convert. It's against the Bible. No, it's against the Bible.
3: You can once you're Christian, though.
1: <laughs> you guys don't follow any of the rules.
3: No. No, see, that's the thing. We we pick the rules that we want and then ignore all the okay. other ones yes. so that we can judge people for having tattoos while we're eating shrimp. <laughs>
1: right.
3: That's what, that's what we do. Just
1: eat. like Ginger Dugger.
3: Right. Exactly.
1: When she said in her book, the, the Bible doesn't tell me not to eat. Pork, and I'm like, actually, ginger.
3: (laughs) No, I'm getting, um, I'm getting a new tattoo this week, so
4: (laughs) I can, I can
3: do it with or without shrimp. Actually, don't eat shrimp north of north of the Mason Dixon line. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) It's a personal policy of mine. (laughs) Okay, so we we have to talk about queer eye, and I wanted to thank you first, Pastor Noah, for doing that episode. Um, it's such a good episode and I feel like you shared that with the world and you made that possible. Uh, so, so first, thank you.
2: <laughs> no, thank you.
3: But do you have any, any favorite stories or experiences that you would like to share about that?
2: So uh, I, I'm going to tell you the kind of, kind of the the spiritual story uh, for lack of a better term of how this ended up happening. Um, uh, a few weeks before everything got got rolling, like uh, my name was not even submitted yet, and uh, there it was Lent. Uh, for for us, that's a time of uh, fasting and renewal and uh, reflection. And uh, one of the texts, it was uh, from the Gospel of Luke. And it's the story of when the people come to Jesus and they say, um, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, they say, Jesus, uh, did you hear Pilate killed a whole bunch of people and he mixed their blood with their sacrifice? And there is an apparent implication in that of of a question of what did they do that was so bad that God let that happen to them? And, uh, And a and we see that because of how Jesus responds. Jesus then asks, you know, when the tower at Siloam fell, was it because they were worse sinners? And, and I said, here we have, you know, as Christians who we believe is God incarnate saying, I don't work that way. And yet there are plenty of Christian voices who get on the TV after a hurricane slams into a city and says, God did this because they were accepting of the gays.
1: Mm-hmm. Jerry Falwell did that for nine eleven.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, was it Pat Robertson who did it for uh, Katrina into New Orleans, I believe. That sounds uh, right. So, and and I'm like, here are all these uh, voices saying Christian voices with this incredible literal broadcast reach, who are saying this about about how God works, and yet here again as Christians, who we believe is God incarnate. Uh, among us saying, I don't work that way. Uh, And I said, wouldn't it be nice if uh, our kind of Christian voice could get a little bit of that broadcast reach? Uh, And I believe it was within two weeks after that sermon uh, that I'm on the phone doing an interview with the casting director for Queer Eye. The
3: Lord and, said, oh, uh, you want some broadcast yeah, <laughs> one for.
2: One of my members said, next time be more explicit in what you're asking for. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so yeah, and and then uh, you know things unfolded uh, as they did. Um, so that that's the kind of behind the scenes thing that that happened um the 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 other behind the scenes thing i've been mentioning this one before uh that didn't make it so there's there's these between sections of the show you get these like kind of white background dance scenes and, uh, um, yes. Yeah. So a couple of things about <laughs> they're those. They're always so awkward. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so th- the robes that they're wearing are in fact, old choir robes from atonement. Those are ours <laughs> that they're wearing. And, um, um, and, and so that, that's an interesting, the, the next thing is while we were filming one of my parts, so those are filmed like for me it was like a month or more after the episode had been filmed and so what what i didn't know was i was struggling with some diabetes and so i was losing weight and by the time that we got to this filming i had lost about 10 pounds and here i and i'd already lost a little bit of weight from the time that they showed up to measure me and then the episode was fil- filmed and so I, at this point, I've lost significant weight compared to like the clothes that they got for me. And we're dancing. Everything is fine. And and as you may have picked up, Tan is not a huge fan of belts. Oh, dear. And, no, I've noticed this. Yeah, yeah. He's not a big fan of belts. So I don't have any belts. And I'm out there dancing. My pants fell down. Oh, no. <laughs> And, and I'm sure like the fat five are going like, what is this guy doing? Trying to like, like (laughs) what? And I'm again, I'm an introvert. (laughs) <laughs> and i'm freaking out in my head and the only thing i could think of is i i looked i looked over where the camera was and i said it's not that kind of show and the director <laughs> the director without skipping a beat he goes it is now <laughs> so <laughs> well please
3: please but- tell us that the fab five made you feel okay and i'm sure
2: oh oh yeah yeah no i that's that's the other a lot of people ask I, in my experience with them, they were exactly in person like they are uh, on the show. Like, like clearly when the camera's on that changes some of your behaviors, but there is, it's not like dealing with different people. Once the camera is off, it is, it is uh there's a continuity between who they are in front of the camera and who they are when the camera is off. Um, and, and I would also say there's a lot of, you know, the, I, one of the things I, I'm always concerned with reality TV, even the ones that I really like, is how much of this is, like, manufactured. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there was a, a restaurant here in Fishtown that became very famous and got on the Travel Channel, and I was there when they were filming. And I overheard, like, the producers actually feeding people lines and stuff like that. and And I'm like, that's not great. And, and so I wondered what this experience was going to be like, you know, is it, is it going to be genuine? What's it going to be like? And the, one of the producers told me, he said, look, this is how it's going to go. This, this kind of B footage, you know, a day in the life of Noah, that's going to be the most produced part of the show. So for example, all the sweets that are in my, my uh, kitchen, they bought and put there. Now, they bought it and put it there because I had kicked all of that stuff out of my house because I knew if it was there, I was going to eat it. And like I said, I am i was already aware that I'm struggling with some diabetes stuff. So that was already gone. But I had put on the form that I really wrestled with having a sweet tooth. And so in order to tell that story, like I, I, I didn't know it was diabetes yet, I guess, because that, that would have been something that would have been mentioned. But in order to communicate the fact that I like sweet food, they wanted some to be on the camera because it's faster to show you than it is to tell the story, obviously, because it's taken me this long to tell it.
3: Right. It's your real life. And they've just like, right. It, it, it's just like, um. so my husband and I are looking for a house right now in, and in real estate pictures, they have to show the, the home the way that it is, but they use real nice lighting and yeah. real specific focus, there was one house that we saw where the primary bedroom did not have a closet, and we did not find out until we... The closet was just like a poorly hung rack on the wall, and we mm-hmm. didn't find out until we got there because they hid it so well in the photos. Yeah. So it's it's like that. It's not a lie. It's just a, a strategic magnification of certain it, things.
2: It, and, and when you watch that segment, like, so they filmed for like four days. There was hours and hours of footage that they had to trim down to 45 minutes and so it really it becomes how quickly can we tell this story uh especially for a part that's not really a main part of the show and so yeah so they're trying to show instead of you know sit there and do a whole big interview part of it uh because it just again it's quicker so i it you know, it's, yeah, it's not deceptive. Uh, and, and there's there's the other parts of like, can you make a phone call? Uh, can you hop on your computer and play a game so we can film that? Um, sure. And so, again, they're just trying to tell my life in like, what, what 15, second, 15 to 30 seconds. And then he said, when the Fab Five show up, it's just going to be you and them and whatever happens, happens. And the cameras will be around to film it. And that's exactly what it was. Nobody's wearing earpieces. They're not being fed stuff to say I wasn't being fed stuff to say. Uh, And so like when they show up at the beginning, that's clearly a very genuine surprise that I have because what they tell you, they don't tell you when they're going to show up. I had figured it out. It's got to be sometime today, but I didn't know when it was. They didn't say they're going to pop up at this time. Uh, And so, and it, they kind of make it sound like they're actually going to show up the next day, but I'm like, that in my head, I'm like, that's, that can't work. They got to be here today at some point. And sure enough, they were, but I still, uh, I didn't know it was going to be right then. So when they, when they burst in, I was genuinely surprised. So that, that kind of thing, they, they're, they're a little deceptive with, with the, the person. Like with me about what's happening because they are hiding some of that so that when they do film these sorts of things, it is a, a genuine surprise. Just, just like I – so I can't see past my nose without my glasses. And, um, and so when they turned me around to see my, my makeover for the first time, uh, I actually sat there speechless for a long time. Uh, They had to edit that part down too. And there was, there was a moment when I irrationally thought like, is this some sort of CGI that they brought in? There's no way I can look that good. And uh, it was, uh, it was just, it was amazing. And, and, uh, and there's, you know, there's a strategy in how they do that kind of thing, but it is, uh, it's a lot of pampering. I I told him, I said, the biggest, the biggest thing I'm going to have to get over is not having a, a whole, a uh, crew of people following me around, if asking me if I need snacks or water. You know, <laughs> that's you know, a dream. You get used to that after a while.
1: But Sadie, you're used to being the person who 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 offers the snack. And water <laughs> yes, that's what
3: I. Old. That's what my kid
4: lives right now.
3: <laughs> no, I. You know, having grown up in a pastor's family, and I, like I've seen, I was saying before we went on mic to record this episode, I. I get the pastor of a small church struggle mm-hmm. and the pastor who has to do everything struggle, mm-hmm. um, on a, on a pretty personal level. And honestly, you deserve to be pampered. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, there was thank, only four or five you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Um If anybody, if anybody, and I'm saying that as a full-time parent who also works, um, <laughs> if anybody deserves it, you do. <laughs>
2: I, and, you know, uh, well, thank you. And, and I, I will say, like, one of the beauties of the show is, I, I think, uh, I, I had not really watched it until I, I had been, I was on the list of possibly being on the show. And, uh, and they suggested there was a couple of episodes they wanted me to watch, um, in particular, the one from season two with uh, Miss Tammy um oh i the, remember that one yeah it's the episode titled god loves gay um yeah and she, i believe they, i've seen that work, one yeah they work on her church I
3: believe i've cried over that one
2: yes i did i certainly did and um and so i of course started watching a lot of it and um because i got hooked you know but mm-hmm. um but i think there's a way uh in which we 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 watch uh, the other one that really got me. Let me back up for a moment. The other one that really got me was uh, the two sisters who have the barbecue place. Yes, that's such a good one. I happy cried through so much of that episode because, uh, and and here's what I was trying to say is, is that even even though we're observers of others being kind of pampered by the Fab Five, the show is really about. It's the the beauty of self-care and the fact that we hide our own beauty from ourselves and and the show itself uh even though we might not be direct recipients of what what they're doing we watch them uncover the beauty of these people that they had hidden from themselves so that they can see it and and I think we learn from that that that's that's possible for us too and and I, I think that's the real gift of of the show, is that beyond beyond what they're doing for that individual, the show kind of shares that on a much larger scale um, with with the world.
3: Wow, that is that's a really beautiful take on the show.
2: I, well, thank I, I, I wish the church would do that more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, there is an article in Christian Century about. Uh, the fab five and how they see in them kind of like the gifts of of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit Oh man. and that sounds and I'm amazing like, you know like that's that's what the church ought to be doing is is this accompanying people into some uncomfortable parts of their lives and walking with them through that and just keep saying grace 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 over and over again um and showing them grace and and uncovering that that uh the beauty or uh the divine image that they have as uh, as a person
3: i think another thing that where i can allow us to do is to see that final product mm-hmm. before the person does that inner work yeah is to look at the person like you at the start of the episode and see as much value as i saw when i looked at you at the end of the episode it challenges you to not put value in the haircut and the clothes and mm-hmm. the new cooking skills, but to to put value in the human being, regardless of whether they ever get the haircut or get the new clothes or pick up the cooking skills and to, to value those two people equally.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's exactly it. Like, like that person was already there. And that that's what. Is the, that
3: person. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's what's. What I think every show, the episode that I've watched, that's like the heartbeat of that story is like, you know, we're just, we're showing you what was already there.
3: Right. It's not, you need to change in order to be valuable. It's you're valuable the way you are. Mm -hmm. And if you want other people to see it more, here's some changes that you can make, but, but it doesn't change your value. And that is exactly what the church ought to be doing um and and so often fails that because especially in legalistic and fundamentalist circles it's change to show your value right it's a twisting of study to show yourself approved unto god mm-hmm. a workman who needeth not to be ashamed <laughs> um and now you just heard me <laughs> um do a sadie classic move which is mixed translations in the same scripture <laughs> <does> quote, because <laughs> the first oh, half of that was a newer translation the second half i reverted to king james
2: i i often revert to king james uh,
3: because it's what you memorized right exactly as a child exactly
2: sword mm-hmm. drills yes i, I did sword yes. drills i
3: was the okay sir i was the queen that uh, hold on as queen one of the as, accurate mm, <laughs> yes <laughs> the non-binary queen no uh, as one of the fab said fab five said to you pastor girl uh, I yeah, yes. was the reigning champion of sword drills, not only at my church, but also at my Christian campground. So, I will absolutely challenge you.
2: Oh, I was never good at them.
3: <laughs> uh, I, I was because I had the same Bible that I had had since like five years old. So, I had the the volume, the, you know, the thickness of the pages and exactly where everything was. I was very familiar with it.
2: Did you feel pressure also from being a PK? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that you needed to be really good at these? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I needed to. Well, and and I grew up, I don't know how your version of fundamentalism was. I grew up in very, very patriarchal, misogynistic fundamentalism. So, there were very limited things that girls were allowed to be good at and very few options for girls to ever win anything in a co-ed competition.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, that was my shot and I had to be good. <laughs>
2: Uh, I would imagine that was probably rife in my setting too, but uh, but one, being a guy, and number two, being a nerd, and therefore not in a lot of the school competition stuff, I didn't experience it, um, except one of the things that stands out to me. Uh, we had, there was one winter where in North Carolina, it got frigid, and the school's Heat. I don't think this was the same time the school's heat broke. Maybe it was, maybe it was. It doesn't matter. But some of the girls got clever, and they wore ankle-length skirts because they had to wear skirts, and they had to to uh, come to the top of the knee. But what they did is they wore ankle-length skirts and then wore long johns underneath because they were trying to stay warm. Mm-hmm. And somebody noticed that they were wearing, quote-unquote, pants. Pants. And, uh, they got demerits for wearing long johns under ankle length skirts. And I just thought that was one of the most ridiculous things that I had ever experienced or uh, saw that I didn't experience that, uh, that I witnessed somebody else experiencing. And, and I, I think that's, that's a kind of, uh, one of those, um, It's, I want to say low key, it's not low key when it's happening to you, but a a form of misogyny that was Mm -hmm. happening to them uh, about how they were expected to behave and suffer in order for the sake of appearance.
3: Yeah, I was, I was also raised skirts only. We were, if it was below zero, we were allowed to wear pants because that's when it's no longer, we were allowed to wear pants with a skirt over it, obviously. But that's when it's no longer immodest. Like God right, turns right, off his right. pants sensor when it goes below <laughs> zero
4: degrees. Uh,
2: well, I'm I'm glad that at least on that part, uh, you guys were more practical than than my environment was.
3: Well, I grew up in um, my my home church, where my dad pastored, was in the St. Louis area, and then um, the okay. Hiles First Baptist Church of Hammond, which was our fundamentalist leader in our little sect of independent fundamental baptist was in chicago so okay so it was a little bit of a colder climate and we had to be a little bit more pragmatic
2: yeah may amazing how context shapes uh, <laughs> amazing how, how you, all the how rules handled, are just made yeah. up <laughs> yeah that's where i was headed
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
1: I've got a, I've got a question to just go back to the episode that you were on real quick. Sure. So on the show, uh, later in the episode, you're, you have this conversation with Bobby Burke. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was i think one of the most powerful moments of the show in which uh you you talk about experiences with church hurt and he says well if there were more like i wouldn't take my kids to a church but if there were more churches like yours then i would consider it was i think what he said yeah how do you feel churches going forward can try to make amends to the lgbtq community
2: oh um it's in a variety of ways. I mean, f- for one, be be more open and accepting around sexuality and, and gender issues. That's, that's still a lot of... Uh, the, I, I tend to forget how much of the church still needs to just work on that, uh, especially once I get out of the Philadelphia area. But uh, the big thing for me is um, denominations like mine, which have a strong accepting element to it we're not we're not a hundred percent but but even even those churches like mine that are accepting and have a, a queer pastor one of the things I think the church needs to get over in its in its work of reconciliation is that if we become affirming uh, accepting and affirming and we have a rainbow sticker out on our sign that the gays are just going to pour into the mm-hmm. church. Uh, that's not going to happen, uh, and, it, and it probably shouldn't happen. What the church can do to support all kinds of suppressed communities and oppressed communities is give up on trying to make them part of the community uh, and instead suffer what they suffer. Uh, and, and by that, what I mean is I, I have some friends who uh, wanted to, to be missionaries in Ghana and they were, uh, uh, no, sorry, Uganda. Uh, and they were working with uh, an organization that was a fairly conservative as, as far as at least sexuality issues. And a, and, you know, and a part of that is they're in Uganda, which has got legal issues around sexuality. Th- this was something they felt was a very strong calling. Like they knew that. Missionary work in this space and is something that God was calling them to do. Well, one of them is a a United, uh, or sorry, um, PCUSA, Presbyterian Church uh, in the USA, and um, and he is a very accepting and affirming Christian, even though he's straight. And he said, "This is what I believe." And it started a whole process uh, for his wife, then a kind of uh, inquisition almost about what she thought, because she had been part of the program already. Uh, And she was kind of like that pastor that I mentioned, who was just like, do we really need to process this? Can't we at least, like, isn't there space to at least have questions about this? And they both lost the opportunity to do this missionary work that they felt God was calling them to do. And I thank them because in that moment they took the same risks that all kinds of queer Christians have taken when they wanted to work in the church. It mm-hmm. would have been very easy for them as a, you know, a straight couple to just give the boilerplate answer, maybe even manipulate it a little bit where they felt like they still had integrity in how they answered, but they knew it would be acceptable by this organization. They could have done that. They could have continued to follow their call, but instead, they opted to take the same risk that I would have to take as an open Christian. And that's the kind of thing I think the church needs to be doing on all kinds of gender, sexuality, race, social economic class issues, is start taking the same risks that that people are enduring. In other words, uh, to risk sitting down at the table to have a meal with all the wrong people, like Jesus did over and over again. That kind of risk, or uh, to the point that you're going to 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 upset the empire and the empire's going to kill you, might be the level of risk that the church needs to take. And, and what I find is that even in progressive churches, we're so stuck on survival and what it takes to survive that we don't want to take those kind of risks. And I, th- I think uh, that's not a very... Concrete answer in some ways uh, about the question of what the church ought to do, because uh, individual congregations need to find communities that that are that they are in the midst of uh, and and find their own ways of accompanying those communities uh, and taking those risks. Uh, and it will look different for different communities in different places. But but that in general is what. I think the church needs to do. Uh, uh, Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran pastor who resisted the Nazis, there's a famous quote that will go around usually in a- April around the day that, that he died ab- about, um, I can't remember the exact quote I ought to, but um, he says something to the effect that we we need to drive a spoke into the wheel of injustice. And that's a great quote for like a Uh, a meme or something but the larger context he's talking about the spoke that needs to be driven into the wheel is the church itself that the church needs to throw itself into the wheel of an injustice to stop it from turning in other words it needs to take the same risks that the people who are experiencing injustice need to take even when it doesn't need to Um, and i think that's the work uh, that the church needs to do. And uh, I appreciate any opportunity where I get to beat that drum. So, thank you.
3: Uh, that really that really spoke to me in a lot of ways. But I, I love the conversation you had with Bobby because your response was not the toxic response that we see so often of, I'm sorry that happened, but I'm sorry right. that happened, but look at me. I'm an affirming pastor. You should give me a chance. <laughs> I'm sorry, but not every church is like that.
2: Right. I'm I'm responding enthusiastically to that because I I have to make a confession, is that only by the grace of God did I not do that because I felt that impulse both with Bobby uh, and uh, with the the time with Karamo, which did not make it to the screen. There was a lot that happened in that. Uh, He and I spent a lot of time alone, one-on-one in front of the camera, and most of that got cut because it was – I think the editors, and, and I think this says a lot about the the production team for Queer Eye. I think they decided that was that was my story. I ought to be the one that tells it, and not them. Uh, so that's a that's a heavily edited segment. Uh, but in, again, in a way, that respects m- me, uh, but is still able to tell my story without them stealing it from me, basically. But in those moments. I felt that urge to say yes. um, the church, but, but that was the old church, the church now is okay. I wanted to defend mm-hmm. my kind of uh, utopian vision of the church, A- and in and, and, and that moment, I just, I had to come to terms with the fact that the church isn't that, and that I have been hurt by the church, and it doesn't need defending it it needs to confess and um and that uh so that that i i still struggle with with that kind of thing i want to because like atonement is so cool you know so it's not every church but even still like any community at times we're, we're going to slip we're going to fall and uh and and we we need to be more honest in our conversations about how as church we fail people and and to learn to live in the grace that flourishes in in the midst of that confession
3: i've thought a lot about what what it means when we say that we're affirming because Mm -hmm. we all know like the the social connotation of that like if you say Mm -hmm. that you're an affirming church or an affirming christian that means that you fully accept all lgbtq people Mm -hmm. and They are included in your church, they are not considered to be sinful just because of what their gender or sexuality might be. But when we, when I dug dug into the the roots of affirming affirmation, what does that mean? To me, it means when somebody tells you something, you say yes. So if someone tells you that they are trans, you say yes, Hmm. you are. Mm -hmm. When someone tells you that they are gay, you say yes, you are. And it's, um, it goes a step beyond acceptance. Yep. Like I someone tells you that they are gay and you say, Yeah, sure, I think I believe that you think you are. That's acceptance. And affirmation says, Yes, you are who you say you are, taking part in their reality. And and so when Bobby yes. said, you know, I've been hurt by the church, you did such a good job of affirmation. It wasn't yes but or yes, I believe that you think that. It was yes, you were, and I'm sorry. End of sentence.
2: Yep, that that's uh, – I, I agree with you on what it means to be accepting, and that that's why I, I try to be careful how I use that term and why I use uh, affirm, uh, accepting and then affirming it is and, – and I actually, I think if – I'm trying to remember all the way back to the very first episode of the new Queer Eye, they say in that that the, the first Queer Eye, the Queer Eye for the straight guy, was working for uh, – uh, 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 to to be welcoming, um, accepting, uh, and the new queer eye is working for that affirmation. It's the next step of not just tolerating it, the existence of, but but instead uh, actively supporting them and and who they are. So as as I think you very beautifully said, the affirmation is yes. Uh, I I I hear you say who you are, and I'm going to support you uh and the image of god that exists in that uh that identity and everything
3: and take part as much as you want yes. me to mm-hmm. in your process of being who you are whatever that means to you i will um, it's um bury you one another's burdens <laughs> is it not
2: right 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 <laughs> right, and, that, and so that distinction for me is like when a church says to be accepting is like it's okay if you're in the pew.
3: Yes, it's okay if you come here, and I won't say anything nasty about you to your face.
2: But we're not going to do the. We're not going to do your wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't distribute communion in some cases. I've I've seen that happen. But yes, and then the move to affirming is when that person can fully participate in the life of the church as they are without having to hide and, and that the church participates in their life. Yes,
3: and I I feel so happy to have met you and to help you continue spreading your message and to collaborate with you on this because I think we who are queer and affirming Christians absolutely have to swallow that some people have been hurt by the church and do not per- desire to participate in it any longer at this point in time. Right, And we are not sitting around, we are not trying to lure them back, we are not right. sitting around waiting for them to change, <clears throat> that that is not our calling in their life, but that we can still have a calling in their life outside of trying to lure them back or trying to get them to change their mind about church. and that we can be a place for the queer christians like you and myself who do earnestly desire to participate in christianity and in the church capital letters
2: right right because it's not their fault no that they're not not part of the community the church drove them away and um and you, you you don't just you know, like I said, you don't put a rainbow, you don't draft a welcome statement and put out a rainbow flag or sticker, and that that overcomes all that hurt that the church has churned out. Um, and I've I've had to have some of these discussions with with higher levels of the church as we've become more affirming. You know, there's this kind of rush to say, well, you know, now all these queer clergy and everybody, it's legal. You got to get married. And I'm like, time out, (laughs) because uh, number one, the church created the culture in which a lot of these people have had to hide their relationship, and sometimes they still do. Uh, And so just because it's legal doesn't mean it's safe for them to do, and the church can't just compound the pain by now forcing them to get married in order to maintain their relationship just because it's it's legal and we are accepting now uh, because not all the world is accepting. Uh, there may be cases where uh, they work in communities uh, that are not accepting. Uh, and so for them to be public about their relationship and say, for example, a marriage uh, may mean that they lose their, their livelihood uh, and that, you know especially especially because the church helped create that context yes. you can't just suddenly change the rules and say well now you got to do this new context that that's not how this works and and thankfully i, I that has been heard a lot uh, and, and that, and, and some of it on the church's part has happened out of excitement. It's not like new rules. you got to get, ma- it's like, yay, you can get married. So we needed <laughs> to do that. Cause we got to be within the, you know, uh, it, cause it's we
3: kind it, ignorance. It's, it's, right. Um, right. Yes. <laughs>
2: Benevolent
3: <laughs> right. ignorance. Yes.
2: <laughs> you know, and, and it's like, it, so there, there are all kinds of instances where that that is the reality, uh, and and that one of the things that uh, uh, that work of repentance that the church has to do is also admitting we fueled a lot of this, and uh, and and in that we've we've just kind of got to back off, and instead of and instead of either getting people in the church or telling them how they need to live, it's like we just need to walk with them and say, what can we do? Uh, Mm -hmm. and maybe it's just like, I hear you say that you're accepting now. That's great, but I don't need you in my life. And we have to say, okay, and go on, you know, uh, and maybe do the kinds of advocacy that aren't as direct for that person, which is still, you know, uh, protect, protecting, Trans kids, um, and mm. and uh, all the other legal work uh, that can be done. It's also creating communities where trans kids might have a place to go to encounter an accepting adult because they can't find it anywhere else. Those are the kinds of things that we can do. And again, not for the goal of protecting the church and keeping it open, but for the sake of that other person instead. Yes. Um,
3: Being an accepting adult or a potential trans kid. And if they Want to find an accepting God? Sure, you can take them that direction. But if that's not what they need, they still have an accepting adult.
2: Yeah, and so that's. Um, so I, I think I think the church can continue uh, where it has uh, grown in acceptance and 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 seen uh, that the narratives that we have inherited are not accurate. That that we can e- even if the person doesn't want us. Directly in their lives, there are other ways that we can engage uh, to create um, space uh, and community for them. And like I said, you know, whether it's bombarding senators and and state representatives about what you would like to see in your state as far as acceptance for uh, the trans community and uh, their access to life affirming healthcare uh then that's that's a that's a place where we can still be active um and repentant
3: yeah i spoke about this on the show about a month ago i think about how repentance is work and Mm -hmm. a lot of times the the baptist easy believism i know that baptists will fight sun up to sundown about what repentance is but Mm -hmm. the answer always seems to be oh, you say you're sorry, or you quit doing the sin, and that's repentance. And I think that in the context in which we're speaking, repentance is work. It's not, yeah, it's not simple and it's not easy. And from the times that I have needed to repent in my, in my secular life, in my religious life, in my marriage, um, I don't believe that repentance is always easy or pleasant. But it is it is joyful work, um, and it, that's one of the mysteries of Christianity to me that I most appreciate.
2: Yes, uh, it, that was for me. That was a big. Uh, what is repentance? Was a long
3: I, oh, I'm struggle. Still not- <laughs> Interpersonally, yeah. I feel like I have a great understanding of repentance and humbly work towards a greater understanding every day. In a religious sense, don't ask me. I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. What? What? The big thing for me was the realization that it means, uh, as it's as it's used, the Greek word that's used in the New Testament. It means to change your mind. It, it is. Uh, I think. I think it's the same thing that Paul puts in a different way, a renewing of the mind. It's a shift in the way that we think um, so that uh, re- repentance – Romans 12
3: transformation. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that it, it is – we so, – so, in that sense, it's it can't just be I stop doing X, Y, or Z sin. Instead, it is a shift in my worldview about uh, how that harms others. And, and, and in that sense, you, it might, it, it, it might, it, it ought to lead one to stop once you realize how it may harm uh, someone else. But, uh, but rather than just, uh, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to manage to get through the day without murdering. It is instead, <laughs> like, what are the ways that I might engage other people that, that, that cause harm? And, mm-hmm. which is exactly what what Jesus then does with the commandments. And I'll throw in my tag that that, it's not new. Uh, Jesus is a rabbi. He's inherited this from his very Jewish religion. Uh, He's not making anything up. Uh, And that is, you know, that shift from you shall not murder also means how, what you hold in your heart towards other people. And um, uh, that that's the kind of thing that I, I think, I think some parts of Christianity are beginning to handle better uh, I worry about you know kind of uh denominations on our end of the spectrum uh that we may be handling repentance better, but we almost handle it so much better that we just quit doing it and we <laughs> you know we we just think people can be better, and that's okay where I think it really it takes it takes this mental shift. Uh, to go back to what I was talking about earlier, it takes that kind of mental shift of going: Can we be willing to throw ourselves in, into the wheel of injustice? That—that's, I, I think, real repentance.
3: Yes, and I and I think that's the best of what Christianity has to offer. Yes, I you know I engage a lot with people who are not Christian at this point in my life, which I'm really thankful for. But it causes you to ask: Like, what does Christianity have to offer? me, and why do I choose to follow this faith?" And Mm -hmm. I think that renewal of the mind of, oh, I do not want to hurt others, Mm -hmm. because like our atheist friends will say, "Um, I murder exactly as much as I want to, I do not want to murder. (laughs) And and no one, when they are showing that people can have a moral compass without a belief in God, and they're absolutely (sighs) correct. People can have morals without God. Exactly. But when I talk about what does what does Christianity do for me is it applies that in so many areas I try not to sin because I do not want to sin because I do not want to hurt anyone. it, it, mm-hmm. it is a kind of inherently nonviolent and mm-hmm. advocacy focused religion when you interpret Christianity this way and I think that's truly some of the best of what Christianity has to offer.
2: There was a we- TikTok I saw I think earlier today um and it was a, it was a woman who was saying, you know, my, my father came to me and said, uh, how do you not murder with, without reading the Bible? And she said, it was in that moment I realized he needs to keep reading the Bible. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, like, like, if that's what's stopping you from committing murder, please keep reading the Bible. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, uh that that's that's it
1: i mean as we all know heaven was empty until 1611 so <laughs>
2: right uh, yeah i um uh. i uh my uh, I, since the episode I, I actually have started dating someone and um Ooh. And he, yeah so <laughs> uh and he Mazel is not cr- yo thank you <laughs> he's not christian he's buddhist and um uh, and, and I kind of in and, and trying to explain Christianity because mo- mostly he's encountered cultural Christianity. How the cultural culture has presented Christianity to him uh, and especially on social media And, and I said, here's here's my, a uh, quick reference guide. Uh, if it actually fits the Sky Daddy theology, it is bad theology <laughs> runaway. Um, Christianity ought not look like that. And um, so, uh, yeah, th- I think that's, I, that for me gets back to that whole, you know, we, uh, like, like the two of you are doing with this enter. Uh, faith podcasts is creating spaces where this other kind of Christianity, that I dare say is more genuine, would um, can can get that kind of broadcast reach that uh, that that this other narrative about what Christianity is seems to be able to get
3: it's it's such a wonderful platform because you know speaking to somebody who is not a Christian about religion and Christianity on a weekly basis is just it does wonders for your own faith formation
1: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> It really does
1: I took her to uh high holidays yeah I got to go to time, high holidays like, I was gonna say we're talking about a uh, repentance we're talking about atonement How do you feel about a 25 hour fast Sadie <laughs> <laughs> Woo! no food no water let's go
3: i think um <laughs> i think maybe i conveniently have another baby right before high holidays next year
1: <laughs> yeah, you'd be, be, be exempt <laughs> yeah.
3: although dude, unfortunately we are at the end of our time for today i feel like i could talk to you forever <laughs> pastor noah but we do have to wrap up this episode <laughs>
1: Come oh, visit me well, in Philly, Sadie, and you can meet Pastor yes, Noah in person. We, we I'm going should. to do
3: that. I'm going to bring a suitcase full of books and highlighters and notebooks. <laughs> I feel like I've definitely. made a new theology friend today, and I loved every minute every minute of it.
2: Likewise, likewise, I I've uh, enjoyed this very much. Um, I'm I'm sorry that our time is coming to a close, but definitely uh, come visit. We'll we'll all hang out. Philadelphia is a large city, but it's also small in many ways. So,
1: just like Portland.
3: Yeah, it <laughs> sounds like Portland. No, thank you so much for being with us and and sharing with us today. Uh, I wanted to end this out with in w- this episode with uh, two quotes from the Queer Eye episode, of one serious and one a little sillier. <laughs> uh, one is from the bishop that you met with. Um, I'm not going to talk about the stole that you were given because I bawled so much (laughs) and I don't think I can talk about it. I can't imagine how it feels for you, but he said, who you are preaches and people need to hear that Mm. and who you are does preach. And I am so thankful for your testimony.
2: Oh, thank you. And and likewise, I'm thankful for the testimony that the two of you have. with this and and throughout this conversation.
3: Well I'm thankful for you, Gavi. I um
2: Oh, for me. I
3: yeah, I so I'm so appreciative of you (laughs) and the friendship that we have that lets us have we have we have such a unique space here and I say this all the time, but our um our Facebook group and our like most hardcore listeners, I think are about thirty to forty percent Christian and roughly the same percentages Jewish and atheist. And we have managed to make a place for all three of those types of people and many others who don't fall into one of those categories.
1: A lot of them are deconstructorinos just like yourself. Um, yeah,
3: a lot of people who were raised fundamentalist and went many different directions after that.
1: Yeah. And I'm thankful for you, Sadie. Well, thank you. Just incredible human being. And I'm thankful for pastor Noah for coming on our show and talking to us wow
3: yes such a wonderful time uh go in peace and be fabulous for the lord
2: (laughs) thanks be to god
1: that was an awesome interview i could have talked to pastor noah all day i know sadie could have talked to pastor noah all day they're basically the same person once again
3: (laughs) no he reminded me um all the the church nerd and bible nerd stuff reminded me so much of my dad in a great way
1: yeah what a wonderful human um, we do love you guys. Uh, we, we do love Pastor Noah. And we're, I mean, that legit, I think that was some of the best content we've ever made for this show. I was just like in awe listening to him talk about things and just the depth of his knowledge. Um, of course, we can't wrap this episode without reading a pride story from a listener because it is pride month. And we've been asking you guys for pride stories all the time for like two months. And so we have a story from M. Uh, he him pronouns. So, uh can I read Do you want me to read this one? Do you want to read this one? I'll read this one.
3: Why don't you read this one?
1: Okay. Hello Sadie and Gabrielle. My name is M. I was raised as a Baptist pastor's kid. As a forward, I haven't sent anything I haven't sent in anything previously since I did not grow up as a fundamentalist per se, but listening to and coming to a better understanding of the ideologies and trends set by fundamentalism In America helped me understand my context within Canadian Baptist culture I can't speak for all Canadian Baptists but my particular region seems to have borrowed so much from the American fundamentalist culture that the term fundy light resonates with me it has a facade of Canadian social acceptance that has confused me for years but the underpinnings are definitely American anyway here's my contribution for Pride Month as a kid my worst nightmare was to be bald gay or atheist as a current bald gay and atheist adult my worst nightmare is now to be that kid again (laughs) (laughs) i understand being afraid of being bald because uh when i started going bald i was very afraid of it and now i've accepted it Oh, man. As a kid, I was constantly being fed information that led me to self-hatred. With the knowledge I have now, I know that I was put in a truly unfair situation. I was expected to conceal my sexual identity, compensate for my just-now-diagnosed ADHD, and represent my family like a wholesome pastor's kid should. The only times I felt approval in that culture was when I could be the least version of myself. Aw, My teen years were spent trying to eat less, lose more weight, and attempt to self-convert my sexuality before it was too late. DIY conversion therapy. Do not recommend.
3: We don't recommend it either. That sounds awful.
1: Yeah. After my Christian undergrad, I burned out pretty hard and deconstructed over the pandemic... After a few years of what I now view as a slow recovery period, I felt very hopeless about my future because I felt my Christian education wouldn't get me to where I wanted to be. And with planning to be celibate, I saw my life as something that could only get worse. Once I deconstructed my views enough, I was able to gain courage to start meeting other gay guys and consider a future that consolidated who I was and who I want to be. Wow. Applause to you, that sounds fantastic. That considerable amount of contemplation motivated me to pursue non-Christian mental health services, start a medication for the first time, I was always encouraged not to before, and that medication really helped me out of my rut. Within a few months, I had gotten admittance into a master's program, which led to a fresh start in a progressive city halfway across the country, applying my experiences to research Now I'm doing a couple of lines of research, one in the areas of LGBTQ plus concealment, secret keeping, and the related mental health outcomes, and the other in the area of forgiveness. Further, I took a course on intergroup conflict resolution, zero-sum beliefs, and apologies that I think you would have loved. That sounds fantastic freaking fantastic. My term paper in the conflict resolution class may be of interest to you. My paper proposed comparing the self-threat, i.e. challenge to the favorable view of oneself and openness to the new alternative information that conservative Christians experience when reading in-group Christian LGBTQ plus experiences and out-group non-Christian LGBTQ plus experiences. I used intrinsic religiosity, which is a lived central expression of religiosity that is given a high significance in the organization of one's life as a factor that moderates or affects the strength of the relationship between the in-group, out-group condition and the self-threatened openness to the new information outcomes. I understood none of that, but that sounds fascinating.
3: I totally understood that. Uh, Em, if you would like to send me this term paper... I will read it, and I will send you back my sociology term paper on uh, factors that may cause a pastor-church relationship to become abusive and how to effectively moderate that conflict.
1: This is like master's level stuff. This is fantastic. Wow. Um, Age is another factor in there that I have, uh, that I expect to explain some variance in the results. Based off of the limited literature in this area, I proposed That those who have more intrinsic religiosity will report more self threat, but also more openness to alternative new information after reading Christian LGBTQ plus experiences compared to non Christian LGBTQ plus experiences as the Christian LGBTQ plus experiences align closer to the participants personal group alignment. I expect that their experience will be threatening, but also less alien to an outgroup non-Christian LGBTQ plus experience regarding of what the findings would be. I would love to dive in this field because I foresee the intergroup forgiveness data becoming increasingly useful in the coming decades within the Christian LGBTQ plus context. Wow. I think so basically what M is saying is that if you're a very conservative Christian, you're going to have a better time talking to Pastor Noah than you are talking to um, well,
3: to someone like M, who has, uh, who is now an atheist, and also yes. an LGBTQ person, yeah, basically, somebody who is a conservative Christian would rather hear, "I'm gay and it's okay because Jesus loves me," than, "I'm gay and it's okay because it's who I am." And so, potentially, LGBTQ Christians can be a stepping stone for formerly homophobic conservative people to reach greater acceptance of the LGBTQ, lgbtq community as a whole hopefully
1: and that's what we want all that to say i am using my life experiences and making them something new that i get to control where have we heard that before um
3: (laughs) i don't know where have we heard that before
1: i love the new city i'm in i've made new secular friends found an amazing ex-catholic boyfriend got my adhd diagnosis and am really thriving turns out being bald gay and an atheist isn't so bad after all thanks for the podcast i can't wait for monday morning every week now man and thank you for writing us this is uh, th- this research is actually very useful to humans to people and mm-hmm. I'm glad that you're doing it because that is actually like a good thing going forward for humanity and for your community and for the world in general so thank you so much for writing to us and thank you so much for doing this research and pursuing the line of, of, of research that you are pursuing
3: yeah loved this email and I'm serious if you will send me um any papers that you're able to share I will read them with great interest, and send you back some of my own stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's. I, I think I talked about this on on several episodes, but it, the unfortunate reality is that you cannot present somebody somebody who has a worldview that you see as wrong or hateful or oppressive or simply incorrect. You usually cannot present them with complete 180 opposite information from what they already believe and have them just look at your information and go oh yeah sure that seems reasonable i'm gonna believe that now it would be great if you could (laughs) or you know sometimes we feel like it would be great if we could but that's not usually the way that these interpersonal reactions or interpersonal interactions work but you can present somebody with well i agree with these three things that you're saying and i disagree with everything else and that's it's the sugar that helps the medicine go down and you can expand rather than change a person's worldview and help lead them into gathering more information and then maybe they will choose a belief for themselves that you think is better than the belief that they started off with and it it respects the agency of the person rather than i'm going to change their mind. It's I'm gonna present them with the information that changed my mind and see what happens. And I think that this is something that is related to that research.
1: When you see somebody make the change and it's like it just went full 180, it's usually because they've been working on that internally for some time and they haven't been able to to and, and they're finally mm-hmm. and they've just been kind of like playing the part publicly and then they do a full 180. Um yep. the thing that I was thinking about what you were saying where you you can't just present somebody with something that's like full 180 and get them to grab it right away it just made me think of you remember when we read kent hoven's doctoral dissertation and <laughs> yes. there was a poem in it and he was talking and, and in the poem the narrative of the poem is that there are atheists on a college campus and they're talking about how there is no God. And then Kent Hovind walks up to them and says, actually there is a God and everybody clapped.
3: (laughs) And all the atheists are like, Oh wow. I never thought about that before. Thanks
1: so much for telling me. I believe in God. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's the, I mean, that's, you can't do that like if you're trying to do that you're basically kent Hovind in his own poem <laughs> that he wrote about yeah. himself doing something that he clearly never did <laughs> and then he got right. a fake doctorate for it
3: but just like you know just like we have real science to support i don't know the existence of trans people there are, there is brain science and psychology science and cellular science and hormone science there are There are real scientific studies that support the existence and validity of trans people. This is science of changing people's minds or science of building bridges between different groups of people that disagree. And just like, just like science can help us in one area. It can help us in another.
1: I find that fascinating. That's about all the time that we've got for today. Thank you, M, for writing in, um and next week yes
3: thank you so much
1: next week are we ready to talk about what we've got coming next week
3: yeah so next week we have an interview that i'm really excited about with megan from thereafter podcast and we are going to be talking about what it means to be a bisexual person in evangelical christianity and the ethics of coming out we've got a lot of really great questions lined up for her and i think we're going to have an amazing conversation
1: that is really exciting and i'm excited to get to do that interview and to to hang out with you guys as you guys have your uh by pride party which is gonna yes so it's going to
3: be a bi pride party Sadie
1: loves a by sure. pride party Every, every day with Sadie is a by price. I was, right? was
3: going to say, that's what I call getting up and making <laughs> my coffee in the morning.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, make sure that you uh, join our Facebook group and our, our subreddit uh, facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus, reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Um, the podcast social media is Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Leaving Eden Podcast, Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. Sadie, your socials
3: follow me on instagram at sadie carpenter music on twitter at hell yes sadie and on tiktok at sadie carpenter one
1: and you can follow me on i guess instagram at lee at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n thank you guys so much for tuning in you guys are the best um happy pride to all of you guys bye-bye